and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast that deals with the intricacies of planning worship. I'm Cynthia Wilson, the Worship Executive at Discipleship Ministries. I'm Derek Weber, the Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. And together, we will discuss how to plan worship using the Common Lectionary while creating worship series that are engaging, relevant, and adaptable for your church setting. This is Episode 6 from the Worship Area here at Discipleship Ministries, and we're an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. And we're excited to share planning helps with you today for Holy Week. As we all know, this is such a rich time for worshiping communities to come together and remember, rehearse the passion story of Jesus Christ. And we do this in a variety of ways. It might be done through scripture or song, through drama, also utilizing the sacraments of communion and baptism. It's also a period of time when we as Christians find ourselves in a space of humility and a time of remembering how we encounter Christ and live with Christ in the passion and his suffering. In order to tell the full story, I mean the whole story, from Ash Wednesday through the Lenten season of sacrifice and suffering, lament, to the single celebratory day of Palm Sunday. And before you arrive at Easter, you need Holy Week. And so for that reason today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the days that frame Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So Holy Week is from Palm Sunday to Holy Saturday, but mostly it centers on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Now the days of Holy Week are sometimes referred to as Holy Monday or Holy Tuesday. Sometimes you might hear Spy Wednesday, but the final three are called the Trigium. It's a three-day observance, which includes Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday in some contexts, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. And if you visit our website, you can find daily Holy Week devotions written by our colleague, Dr. Derek Weber. But in today's conversation, we want to share some thoughts on each of these three days to give you ideas as you plan your special services during this year A Holy Week observance. One of the first things that we want to examine is on the Thursday, and you could sum up the decision that has to be made in how you're going to title it. Is it Holy Thursday or is it Monday Thursday? That, yes. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> That's helpful, Diana. Um, that signifies a, a distinction in where the emphasis of the day is. Monday Thursday refers to the commandment that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John. This new commandment I give you, that you shall love one another as I have loved you. And that commandment, uh, as I have loved you, Jesus gave after the washing of the feet. That act of humility and service and sacrifice that, that he did. 
And so if it truly is a Monday Thursday service, then there needs to be some depiction of that event in, in the life of Christ in the upper room that took place. The question is, what's the best way to do that in our local churches? Some churches actually do a foot washing service. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. I've yes. experienced that. Mm -hmm. And it can be a profoundly moving experience. Uh, but it's also a bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. in many mm -hmm. congregations. And there's always a, a hesitation Sometimes I, for example, have tried to do a, a hand-washing service, mm. which seems mm -hmm. a little less intimate, perhaps, a, a little easier to, to accept. But it might be different in your context, wherever you are. But the question is, how do you welcome, how do you include, and how do you give yourself in service to those who have come? How do you love like Jesus loved? If that's the commandment on Monday, Thursday. Now, the other big emphasis and it could be that you want to call it Holy Thursday and then focus on what the other three Gospels talk about on that day, and that's the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Now, I'm certainly not saying that it's an either-or, that mm -hmm. you've got either do a yes. foot washing or communion. You yes. could certainly do them both. But where is the weight of it? And if it is on mm -hmm. the communion and we're looking at Matthew's Gospel in year A or, mm -hmm. or any of the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, then you're going to focus on the communion. And again, the issue for me, I think, is not so much a reenactment as a re-experience. Mm, yes. We're invited to be in that space. I think, Diana, we said at one time that you in your church has experienced around the tables kind of thing. Yes, we would um, gather together in the gym and um, have a, a light meal around tables with table talk. And there would be even some talking points around the table that we could share with one another. And then we would have communion as part of that time together. And then there would be stations already set up so that people could, could go to a foot washing station or could go light a candle in memory or thinking about someone who was going through a tough time. Um, so it, for us, it was a yes. We did both the, mm -hmm. the Maundy and the Holy Thursday together. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the keys to that description and, and that I tried to do when I was serving in churches was to do it in a different place. Yes. To not be in the sanctuary necessarily. Absolutely. Many sanctuaries are not as flexible in terms of how you can right. set things up, right. but to do it in a fellowship hall or a gymnasium or, or a larger room where you can set up tables. You can be at tables because I think in the story, there's something about them being around that table. That fellowship. And, and the expectation of what was going to happen, but also to have that interrupted by what Jesus did in, mm. in their midst. And so to move people out of the normal space, I think, is what enhances the experience. Of, I would of agree Holy with you. And, and another piece that uh, is often utilized in the Holy Thursday or the Maundy Thursday experience would be sharing the Seder meal at the last time that I was actually a part of a staff in a local church. Um, we often joined together with one of the local synagogues, uh, and sometimes we would go to their house and uh, do the Seder meal, or there were times when they would come to our house, experience the Seder meal, and then we'd move into the ritual of communion and some say it's the initiation of our Lord's Supper and how we understand the Lord's Supper uh, to actually count. Uh, but as we move through these three days, uh, that experience at the table 
Uh, some say it's the most intimate place that mm. Jesus spent with the disciples. And it can be an incredible experience between uh, members of the faith community as well as uh, persons who are outside of that local congregation. That part of that invitation is mm -hmm. come to the table, yes. come and sit beside mm -hmm. me, come and share in this, this sacrament. I, I do want to say before we leave the Seder meal idea that that what I appreciated about your description, Cynthia, is that you brought in a Jewish community right. to, to share that and a rabbi to oversee that. Yes. We need to be careful when we steal other traditions, <laughs> rituals, and yeah. say, just because I, it's part of my heritage, I can do this too. Right. I, right. I think it's a great way to do an, an interfaith connection yes. somehow, to bring in a rabbi, to bring in a, a, a faith community, or to go to them and right. say, could we do this together? Rather than us doing it on our mm -hmm, own, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's something inauthentic about us just doing it by ourselves. You may have, in your churches, uh, you who are listening may have done this in the past, and, and, and it's part of your tradition, and I'm certainly not condemning that. I'm just saying let's be careful yes. about how we adapt and adopt someone else's rituals but, without listening to, to their interpretation. That's an excellent point, Derek. And I would also say that it was helpful Whenever we did the Seder meal, it was helpful to do teaching prior to uh, the two communities coming together. Uh, so we took the time to teach uh, within our congregation what it was that the members were about to experience. It was helpful. And then, of course, to have um, leaders in the synagogue come and also share information it was uh, it it was not quite as daunting because we will have spent time together right. prior to right. the actual meal, and so we encourage you, uh, as Derek has said, uh, to find those persons who are actually in that context, and they can give some guidance uh, and info knowledge and uh, understanding about what it is that's getting ready to happen. And I've always found many communities, Jewish communities or other faith communities are more than willing to, to start this relationship on, on a yes. scale like that, that we come and ask, tell me about what it yes. is that you do. Yes. Teach us so that we can know our history mm -hmm. as well as their history. Well, and it's interesting that we are still linked so intricately yes. with the Jewish community. Um, the fact that we use the lunar calendar, mm -hmm. uh, the way we determine Easter and Passover. Right. So we are intricately linked there. And so to, to bring out the richness as mm -hmm. we're uh, discussing now and with understanding, yes. I think that's what really, uh, and awareness yes. can make it such a rich service. Very much so. Well, going back to what you said, Derek, about um, doing uh, the services in, in a different space, um, I think that calls us also to think about the music and how we do the music mm. in these service, mm -hmm. this service. Um, if you're in a fellowship hall or a gymnasium or some other, even outdoors, mm -hmm. um, you're going to need different instrumentation. So that's something to think about right away. Um, also, the type of music. This is more of a reflective service. Mm -hmm. Let's save the big, the big stuff for Easter Sunday. Um, but for this service, you might think more in a more contemplative style, such as the Tizé uh, pieces that we have in our hymnal and also in the faith we sing. Now, Tizé is a community in France 
um, that is an ecumenical contemplative community that people come from all over the, all over the world to be a part of, and prayer and uh, is central to what they do. And so these songs are very prayerful. They're very centering. They're repetitive. So you might have a 16-measure uh, piece that would be repeated 20 times, mm-hmm. uh, becoming a mantra, something that just uh, sort of seeps into your being. So that's perfect uh, style of music for this type of service. So again, if you're going to do that, you have to think ahead, how am I going to pull that off mm-hmm. in a fellowship room, or do I need a guitar and a cello, or a guitar, cello, and piano? those sorts of things. But I would encourage you to think about that because you are in a different space. Also, if if you're going to have communion and say, you, well, we did in my church many years is we would do the meal part and the stations part uh, in the, the gymnasium, mm-hmm. but then we would move into the sanctuary for the Holy, Holy communion. communion. Mm-hmm. So there... And and if we and we would have part of the Jewish community with us as well, sure. and so then they were able to leave and didn't feel imposed on, you know, for the Holy Communion right. part. But um, so thinking about the the service music for Holy Communion, the setting by Carlton Young in the hymnal that's in a minor key mm-hmm. fits really well. It's mm-hmm. an F minor. It's Communion setting D. Okay. That's one of the ones that we would use all the time. Again, sort of having a different environment for this communion that is contrasted to what's going to happen on Sunday morning. We've been talking about spirituals in this mm-hmm. series. So a spiritual that we don't want to forget is let us break bread together mm-hmm. on our knees. Perfect for this time, yes. whether you're indoor, outdoor, in the gym, in the sanctuary. That's one that you can sing a cappella. Yes. And uh, it's just so beautiful. What Wondrous Love Is This is another hymn that's wonderful to use at this service. What Feast of Love, that's a relatively new one that is in worship and song. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that, it talks about the the feast that Christ brings to us, but it uses the music Green Sleeves, which which is what child is this in our Christmas um, mm-hmm. section of the hymnal. So that brings together that idea of Christmas and birth, uh, along with getting ready for uh, Good Friday. So those are some ideas for Maundy Thursday, some of the things we've done. I think one of the keys to all that, Diana, is, is that you really want congregational singing. You want everybody to sing in some of those simple songs, and certainly Teze music is easily learned, even from us non-singers, we can pick up on that and, and join in. You may have leaders uh, who get it started and, and choir members or an ensemble or something like that. But the idea is that everybody Absolutely. here again, it's it's about being the community, joining right. together and participating, investing yourselves. It's another so, way of being in worship. Exactly. Exactly. But the music is accessible to everybody seated in the hearing of what is actually happening so the congregation becomes a choir of sorts. Right. And which I think we have all found is that this Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday service is very family friendly. Yes. And so thinking about yes. the music that is accessible to children as well. Right. Right. And then of course this Holy Thursday experience moves us into what most of us call Good Friday, 
I was having a conversation with another colleague who uh, is actually from Asia, and he said in Asia they rarely say Good Friday because they can't understand what's good about a Friday where Jesus is dying. And so often they call it, or they refer to it as Passion Friday. Uh, But however it is that we uh, name it, uh, one of the experiences growing up in the uh, African-American worship experience on Good Friday was the seven last words of Christ. Uh, And this was an experience that could last a full day. Uh, Pastors from various communities, various uh, denominations would come together in a particular uh, local church. And each each word, the the supposedly the words that uh, we we, uh, assign to Christ hanging on the cross, Uh, Each of these words are assigned to uh, various ministers in the community, and they actually uh, do a fabulous, very um, moving exegesis of that particular word. Um, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Mother, behold thy son, it is finished. Um, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's an amazing thing. And throughout the day, between each of these words, you'll find either congregational music or special music being done. Oftentimes, spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord uh, or fix me? And um, so, so this was a pretty lengthy experience, and people came and went as they pleased. Rarely would somebody sit through the entire seven <laughs> words, um, but it was just a very interesting experience to hear uh, how these pastors unpacked these simple words, I thirst, right. uh, which is one of my favorites to preach. As, <laughs> I, I got today, you will be with me in paradise. Uh-huh, did a uh-huh. sermon on today. I, what I loved about that experience, Cynthia, I was invited to to come to the African-American church in, in the city where I was serving mm-hmm. and was honored to be asked and was one of those seven throughout the day. And And what I took away from that was this feeling of standing there where Jesus was on the cross, the in and out and the people. And you had that experience of people coming and watching and then leaving. And I could just imagine that that might have been how it happened uh, on that day. Some there for the show Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. some there witnessing their Lord and all of that. And and it was a a fascinating day. Right. I've I've known lots of communities that that do that and still do that today. It takes a big commitment. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's interesting that uh, some of those faces that we saw uh, the Sunday before shouting Hosanna, Mm. uh, waving the palms, uh, are in those crowds crying, crucify him. Uh, So you're absolutely right. It's the incarnational experience of what it is that uh, Christ went through. And Mm. the hymn says, are you able (laughs) to be crucified with Christ? Um, Lord, we are able. We sing that emphatically, (laughs) don't we? we? we But uh, that's one of the experiences of Uh of Good Friday. Well, and um, on our website, uh, umcdiscipleship.org, you'll find seven last words of of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this one is in Korean and English. So it's a bilingual service, and you can find it on the website. If that suits your purpose this year, 
be sure and find go look for that. Also, as I was hunting around, I found sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Mm -hmm. This is a worship resource for Good Friday that comes out of the Africana hymnal. Mm -hmm. um, and so a couple of, and as if you remember, we we're using the spirituals throughout this whole uh, Lenten season. And we started with sometimes I feel like a motherless mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a really nice way to bookend it on the other side. Um, there's so many things wonderful, dramatic things you can do on Good Friday to help people be in that space, as Derek was saying. Um, Good Friday is dramatic, and um, one of the best services that I've always uh, loved is called the Service of Shadows or Tenebrae Service. And this is, um, it, it starts with candles, and then you'll have the lowering of lights after readings, and the sound of thunder and the, and the sound of nails being hammered into a cross. So it, it involves all your senses. And between the readings, there's singing, sometimes sung by a choir or a soloist, sometimes by the congregation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these readings are not uh, scriptural readings, but they're monologues. There are people mm -hmm. who were at the cross yes. or who had encountered Jesus that final week. So I encourage you to go look and find some of these tenebrae services. There are plenty on the on uh, websites, and uh, make it a, a very experiential ex um, type service. And that's one way of combining the two, the seven last words. Uh, uh, instead of a comment or a mm -hmm. preacher uh, speaking on each of the seven words, sometimes they're just read. Right. And the words themselves have power. And yes. in the tenebrae, yes. you just read through those seven words as the candles are dimmed and yes. and the lights are, are go down in the sanctuary. And so you end in darkness and you end with a sense of despair. Yes. Well, I guess one question, though, Cynthia, I want to ask you about. My experience in the African-American tradition was there's always a hint of Easter even mm -hmm. on Good Friday. Yes. As yes. the dramatist, I want to say, no, no, let's save that. Let's wait until <laughs> yes. Easter. Right. But, but, but they got to point to it. Oh, listen, you've got to have <laughs> early Sunday morning. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> At yeah. the end of the, yes, you're absolutely right. That's a wonderful observation. Yes. Yeah, they were, even in the messages of the seven words, there was always this pointer that says there's more, there's yeah. more. Yeah which kind of leads us to the third of the days, and that's the Easter Vigil. Right. Mm -hmm. What happens on that Saturday, and how do we prepare ourselves for the glories of Easter Day? Mm -hmm. um, and I've tried various things. What I found is that m most congregations aren't terribly into Easter Vigils, or uh, service on Saturday, particularly if they've done a Thursday and a Friday and are going to do an early Sunday. They don't necessarily want to come out. So it may be a difficult one to sell to congregations. Mm -hmm. But I think there's some power in that. Mm -hmm. I especially appreciate it, Diana. You talked about in your congregation about the baptisms taking place on the Saturday, on mm -hmm. the Easter Vigil. Yes, we had a, a one of my pastors that I've worked with um, would uh, encourage uh, many people who are thinking about being baptized or having their children being baptized to come do that on the Easter Vigil. And so then it became a very family friendly, intimate mm. service, and um, it, it was just lovely. I, I, I went to many of those, and um, it, it's just very poignant in that baptism is the central uh, sacrament in that service, but you also kn are knowing that this is a foretaste. 
of Easter Sunday. Right. And uh, we would do it around sundown. So it wasn't like midnight like it was originally. Right. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, again, keeping it family friendly. Um, and, and then afterwards, we would have a nice time of fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as I said, it, it was never a large service. It wasn't what you were going to get on Easter Sunday morning. But it had a purpose, and um, and it w- I believe it really was meaningful for the people who attended and sure. were baptized on that evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's very little in scripture as to what happened on the Saturday. You know, yeah. we, mm-hmm. we have this pause in a sense, as if almost all of creation is pausing, yeah. holding its breath, yeah. waiting to see what's going to happen yeah. after the the tremor and terror of Good Friday, yeah. and we have this pause, mm-hmm. and it's in that pause I think that that we can examine ourselves most fully and prepare ourselves for what's coming. I've tried various things. There's a highly liturgical one that actually tells the whole story. It starts in Genesis and mm-hmm. and walks through the prophets and all of that kind of thing. A lot of scripture, a lot of liturgy. Um, and, and there's some power in that. Again, not terribly well attended, not a lot of folks who would come to that, but but to walk through that. And we did ours very late at night so that it ended at midnight. I, I'm one of those who love the late night Christmas Eve service, and so I, I, I wanted it. to do this so that so that you finish on actually the next day. You started mm-hmm. the vigil is we're preparing, we're holding holding our place until mm-hmm. the dawn comes very mm-hmm. early on the next day. You know, on the first day of the week. Um, so whatever you do in that time, and it may be another thing I've tried is is to just set up a station, a prayer station, and let people drop in if, if they were so moved and not sure. have something directed, but just a space that's created. And you come in there, mm-hmm. you pray, you meditate, you read, have music playing in the background, something like that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that's brilliant. Brilliant. And that's exactly what we should be doing this whole week is mm-hmm. holding space for people. Mm-hmm. And there will be some that come on Thursday and not Friday or Friday and not Saturday. But I think as worship planners, we're the ones that can see the whole story and how it plays out and holding spaces for people to be able to come in where they can. Yes, absolutely. And we want to encourage uh, those faith communities that uh, give that Saturday over to the children um, for the fun things that are done to not fail uh, to really tell them the story so that they understand that um, what has happened between Palm Sunday and or even between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday or or Holy Saturday is more than an Easter egg. Yeah, and there's a lot of, yeah, and there's a lot of good books, uh, good children books that can do that. Yeah, we, we, we highly encourage you to make it more than just a real fun thing uh, for the children, but make sure that they are understanding liturgically why it is that they are celebrating in the ways that you choose to uh, guide them in that Saturday experience. Uh, but the, but going back to early Sunday morning, <laughs> we haven't said much about sunrise, but the sunrise service uh, in some places happens in the outdoors. Um, it's, it's a really uh, tricky thing to... Um, to to do, but we we know for sure that it is the day when the rituals of the church, communion and baptism, are uh, they live together, and so we want to encourage you to make those experiences come alive. We thank you so much for joining us today, 
Remember that you can find more information on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. Until next time, may God bless you in your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of this world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.